Podo. You're listening to Movers and Shakers, a podcast about living with Parkinson's. The show is generously sponsored by Boardwave, an exclusive European networking community for software CEOs. Boardwave is a passionate supporter of Cure Parkinson's. For more details on the charity's progress around research and its fundraising, please visit cureparkinsons.org.uk. Hello, I'm Rory Catton-Jones and here we are again, movers and shakers, back in the pub for a laugh and a moan. And I suspect there's going to be quite a bit of moaning today as the subject of this week's episode is drugs and do they work? Before we get started on that, uh, let's have a roll call. I'm Paul Mayhew, Archer, fully drugged up. <laughs> I'm Jeremy Paxman, I am fully drugged up as well. Not that it makes much difference. <laughs> I'm Marmot Allen, I've uh, got my drugs here. And I'm Gillian Lacey-Solomart, and equally, they're all laid out in front of me. I'm Nicholas Mostyn, I've got my drugs here as well. <laughs> now, I'm going to ask you a couple of things. First, can you all rattle your pills? Mm. Yes. We are all walking... We get used to being walking farmers. Wasn't, wasn't it the Who who sang, I'm so pilled up, I rattle? <laughs> oh, you see, our, our rock historian, resident rock historian, Mark Mardell, he can tell us. The other thing I was going to ask is, does anybody really understand what their rug, drugs regime is supposed to do for them? Because I certainly don't. I now take, I think, 12 different pills a day. Well, how basic uh, can we be? I mean, the well, drug regime is to replace the missing dopamine. Right. But I don't go very much further than that. But I believe that to be accurate. But aren't there two different sorts of drugs? Well, I'm, I can't say this now because... <laughs> well, well, let's, have, let's have a bash and see how well we do before, <laughs> before. we get our homework marked. So what, what drugs do you take, Gillian? Well, I take Madapar, which is Levodopa, which is the, I think, the dopamine. And then there's another one, which is a dopamine agonist, which works, I think, in a different way. That's a sex and drugs and rock and roll sort of one which bears all these dangers of gambling and sex and whatever else. And those two, I mean, the side effects of some are quite scary. I think some give you hallucinations. I have a Venetian who turns up from time to time in the corner, for example. A Venetian, right. A Venetian. How do you Very know specific. he's a Venetian? Well, he, he a Venetian. has, no, I think it's a he. He has a mask and a big long cloak. And he sits in a corner. He doesn't really do anything. He's relatively benign. Where so can far. I get these drugs? <laughs> do, you, do you take right these inhibitors? Now. Yes, I do. Yes. They work well. Well, those are the ones I think that give me the creativity boost. So those I quite like, actually. Let's hear about Mark's drugs regime. He's brought some with him. Well, I'm, I'm not on a lot. So first of all, I started off on Propinerol, one yeah. every morning. I'm on that too. And then I tell you, I've just been prescribed, or just in the last two weeks... Co-caraldo. Oh, I've got that. That's another form of cinnamon. And I take one in the morning, one at lunchtime, which I was nearly always forget the one at lunchtime. One in the evening, and I haven't been told because I heard some of you saying, you know, I must take it right now and not with avocado and not with fish mm. and all that. Mm. Nobody's ever told me when to exactly, apart from the one in the morning, one in the lunch, one in the evening. When exactly? Or it doesn't seem to make any difference particularly. Do you remember Professor Zrinzo last week saying, or whenever it was, that uh, we're the experts, not the doctors? I mean, I've done it very much on my own, sort of. I've been given the drugs, and then I've worked out, for me, it works literally every two and a quarter hours I have to take it, and if it's more than that, I can start collapsing left, right and centre. But that is done purely by trial and error for oh. me. And actually, I suppose it can go a bit 
too far because before I had the DBS, I was taking twice the amount of drugs. And when I told the DBS nurse about that, she was quite shocked at the level I was taking. So maybe I was a bit too uh, trigger happy or whatever too, the word too, would be. Too drug dependent. Uh, I'd love to know what exactly, and I hope I'm going to find out soon exactly what they do because I don't know that. Jeremy, no, I would like to know what they do. But what, what I, do take, take? I take 17 a day. And what are they? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's but you do, don't you, really? I, I, I did know when the neurologist told me, but then I forgot because I have short-term memory loss and that doesn't help at all. Can you all. take something for the short-term memory loss? Well, I, don't, <laughs> I think I probably could, but I haven't been able to remember what it is. And remind us again, Judge, what do you I, take? I take Matapar, which is Levodopa. I take Primipexol, which is an, the agonist, and I take Apicapone, <laughs> and rosegilin, which are both inhibitors, which make the levodopa work better. Right. As I understand it. But this will be explained by the expert shortly. Who's not in a way so clearly... And, and I can say it? that the introduction of a picopone, which is one of these inhibitors, has made a dramatic difference to me. The well, well, is, well, when we're prescribed these things, <clears> they <throat> say, you know, do you understand? And we nod. But that's just the Parkinson's making. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's just the tremor. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Rory is shaking like a leaf this afternoon. It's, it's the tension. It's the tension. <laughs> now, let's bring a bit of order to this. We've got two great guests to actually clear the fog, which we're obviously all experiencing around medication and how it works and what it's for. First, we've got one of the UK's leading neurologists, Professor Ray Chowdhury, who also happens, God help him, to be the judge's doctor. Um, <laughs> tricky customer, Professor? Uh, no, I think he's been very compliant, actually. Uh, oh. mm. He does what he's told. Yeah, you have to tell us a secret. Yes. We've all got an awful lot of questions. But, I mean, first of all, my basic understanding of this business, and it is very basic, is that we're missing dopamine. That's that's our problem. And therefore, we take dopamine. Is is that it? Well, it's not as simple as that. And I think I knew it wouldn't the be. first thing to... Uh, I've been fascinated to hear about the conversation, and thank you for having me, is that it's not a single disease. I think the biggest disservice we've done to Parkinson is by calling it a single disease. Mm. 30% of Parkinson patients do not have a tremor, but they have Parkinson's. A large proportion of people with Parkinson's come to our services, present with depression, with pain, sleep problems, acting out violent dreams at night, for instance, reduced sense of smell. And some of these problems, particularly pain, could precede Parkinson for years. And there, the main insult is not on the dopamine system, but on other neurotransmitters in the brain, Unfortunately, neurologists have focused on dopamine-only approach, which I think, in my view at least, has been a partially a mistake. And That's the other extraordinary. Thing, this is for 60 years. We've I know, all been told I know, uh, that but do, it, it's all it, about it, dopamine. And you're it's taken us it's a long time for us and our research group, along with many others, to focus the attention, it's not just movement that's affected in Parkinson's. So that's been my career's work for the last 20, 25 years. It's, it's equally important are issues such as depression, anxiety, pain, sleep, as well as problems with memory. Which what's causing those Well, their involvement of other chemicals, acetylcholine, noradrenaline, and serotonin, are the three other chemicals which have been widely showed with research for many, many years to be as affected, in some people more affected, 
than dopamine. But of course, dopamine underpins the main condition. Most of us so, are taking a dopamine drug. Yes. And it might be called Cinemet. It might yes. be called Cocarol Dopa. It might be called Madapar. They're all what we call DRTs, dopamine replacement therapies. Now, they can be of different types. So levodopa, like Madapar, Cinemet, Stalivo, are the precursor of dopamine. That's the best drug we have, discovered in 1962. Still the best drug we have. And they replace dopamine directly in the brain by transformation through enzymes. But you can also block the enzymes. As you heard from Sir Nicholas, we're giving opicopone, which blocks an enzyme called COMT. Another one, which is contained in all your drugs, Madapar, Cinemet, is either carbidopa or benzarazite, which blocks another enzyme. So you're all taking that anyway. So what I don't understand is we are taking this dopamine replacement therapy and then we're taking other drugs on top of it, which seem to do something different. The problem is that if you stay just with levodopa, it leads to certain complications, excessive movements, for instance, dyskinesias, which is why deep brain stimulation was first developed in the 90s. So we have to think about levodopa sparing strategies. And the sparing strategies include the use of drugs such as dopamine agonists, uses enzyme inhibitors, and more recently drugs such as safinamide and opicoponas has been mentioned. So these are the drug side. But the other thing I like to emphasize is that modern treatment of Parkinson is not just drugs. 30% of it should be instituted through exercise program for each person. That replaces more dopamine and produces more new nerve cells, which drugs can't do, in addition to other association, particularly with oral therapies, a relationship to food is critically important. Before, uh, before we get on to that, can I just rewind and ask, what, what is an agonist? I don't, it's a lovely word. act directly on the dopamine receptors within the brain. Levodopa has to be broken down by an enzyme within the brain to become dopamine, whereas agonists go directly on the receptors and produce dopamine. So why do we not just take the agonist and Because they're the not one? as effective as levodopa. Agonists work in the early stages of Parkinson, but if you keep on it, it loses its efficacy over the years. So you need the levodopa to supplement the degeneration of dopamine that's happening. So I'm taking levodopa, cinnamet, and rapinarol. That's an agonist, right? Yes, correct. And it's Rapinarol, primipexol, retigotin patch, these are all different agonists. But after a while, they all fail to help, don't they? Correct. So the efficacy of oral drugs wears off, and that's partially because you have to remember that whatever you're taking orally is actually absorbed through the jejunum, not the stomach. So whatever is held in the stomach, you have a stomach full of food, it's not going to be absorbed properly. If you have dairy, and I have always said dairy and Parkinson doesn't mix very well, because milk binds to levodopa and stops it from being absorbed. So the fundamental principle of taking oral therapy is taking an empty stomach, make sure you have nothing 30 to 45 minutes after you've taken the tablets, avoid dairy and protein, and take a vitamin C tablet every day because it helps the absorption of So my of bacon and egg breakfast, you're telling me I've got to give up. I'm a bloody well, vegetarian. Just space it out. <laughs> space it out a little bit. Just 30 minutes after the tablet, nothing. Then Why I does a vitamin a, C tablet help? It helps the absorption of levodopa from the, from the jejunum into the blood. It's a cofactor. Now I want to bring in Jeremy, because Jeremy, you've been our great sceptic. Tell the judge... I am appalled that it has taken since 1962 to get any improvement on the, the main drug that we get. 
I actually share your views. I think the problem is that, again, as I said fundamentally, Dr. Parkinson, who described this condition from this city in 1817, well, that that, yeah, exactly. he did not call it ago. Parkinson's disease. He called it. No, it was that Frenchman shit. who called him La Maladie de Charcot. Parkinson. Charcot called it Parkinson's disease. And since then, we've been focused at, as if it's a one condition. I think fundamentally, us, the doctors, need to understand, and the nurse specialists, everyone has to have a personalized treatment program. We do it for other conditions. We do it for multiple sclerosis, we do it for motor neuron disease, but we don't seem to do it for Parkinson's. You take dopamine, that's it, but it's no longer that's it. Personalized therapy is very, very important, and the way you would perhaps need treatment might be substantially different from Jeremy Yoplan. But that that's will very on interesting, because that, is, that flies in the face of how people are told they've got Parkinson's. To some they, extent, They are yes. told, they are given a brush off, as far as I can make out yeah i'm, I'm afraid got, the oh, system be... is not perfect and our understanding of parkinson is not perfect which is why do we don't have a cure otherwise we would have cured the condition by now and that is because it's not just a single problem i mean many of you might have non-motor issues which is my main area of interest such as depression such as pain you mentioned tiredness sleep <laughs> fatigue and sleepiness falling asleep during work can be a problem side effect one of the drugs however it's very different in different people levodopa might work very well for somebody another person a small dose will cause dyskinesias mm -hmm. and that is because of individual variability and this is of great importance which i think fundamentally to some extent has been neglected so there, there, it's a problem to, with the medical community we need to come to grips with to it this question i'm very fortunate because you're kind enough to see me every quarter but most people around this table, I would venture that all of the rest of the people around this table once are lucky if they see their neurologist once Annually, a year. Once a year. Mm. Yeah, and, and every time we see them, they change the regime and then they don't get to know whether it's working or not until yeah. a year on. It's, it's madness, isn't I it? I think, well, <laughs> it should be really. But another thing we have, I think we have neglected are the use of wearable sensors. Use of such devices can give us a vignette of the person's life at home over a seven-day period rather than a 30 to 45-minute clinic consultation and say, come back in six months and we'll change this and that. What are these wearable devices? There are several available now. Mm. However, the neurologists are still quite skeptical about it because we like to be a bit old-fashioned. Mm. <laughs> I'm not, but some of my colleagues... They measure your brain uh, waves I... and your physical no, things? Brain... Actually, it will measure movement. It can give you a good picture of your movements as well as your sleep. I'm wearing one, Jeremy. It's a smartwatch. Yeah. I mean, smartwatches are being developed in all sorts of different ways. This is an Apple one, which is actually not that good at it. They're much cruder. That's enough of the commercial, thank you. Well, exactly. <laughs> uh, they're, they're much cruder versions, which are actually much better than Apple because they don't need charging every night. I think, Sinek, you've had the... I did. ...kinetograph uh, monitoring. I wore so. it for a week, yes, and I sent it back in the post. And, and did that um, change your regime? Of he did. He made it. Yeah. He made some. Yeah. It he allows made, me to be more granular about what I do, mm. because you know, if you had a chest pain and you went to the GP or doctor, they'll do an ECG. Mm. Well, why don't we do it for Parkinson's? Well, why don't? I mean, this yeah. is what I don't understand: is why are so many of your colleagues, from all the, all the scores of emails I've read, there's a thread running through them, the complaint about where, where, where how they are told. The lack of sympathy in that. Yeah. And then the lack of advice given. And compound that with what you've just said about the way it should be treated. 
Why are they so dreadful? Uh, <laughs> it's really a matter of uh, understanding the, the issue about personalizing medicine and it not just dopamine alone. I think that's the fundamental message that needs to go through it. Quite why that hasn't caught on, it's actually catching on. We have a large group of physicians around the world who are all involved in the what we call personalized medicine for Parkinson. And I'm very hopeful that it will change in the next few years. But I think taking Jeremy's point, it's been too long. What I want to get into is, do these drugs actually work? Jeremy, you keep telling us the drugs don't work. You, you don't know what would happen if you didn't take them. Well, for most conditions, you get something wrong with you. You go to the doctor. The doctor gives you a medicine which cures it. That doesn't happen with Parkinson's. Mm. But it well, does doesn't help. happen with a lot of illnesses. Because I, as I was getting off the train this morning and I strode out of Paddington State, I literally was striding out of Paddington State. I felt fantastic. Ten minutes later, I was shuffling ahead because yes, the uh, drugs had suddenly worn off. And I think Parkinson is a very dynamic condition. It's really worth, and a lot of people don't understand, particularly who are not in the field, that stress burns dopamine. If you have a tremor, you can suppress it, but if you're over a, a public situation like this, the tremor will come out regardless of whatever drug you're on. It's driven by a separate circuit within the brain. We now know that it's been shown by PET imaging that lights up a separate center. And similarly, fatigue, it might be unpredictable. And to me, that's one of the biggest, if I had Parkinson, I would think that would be a real problem. A situation mm. like this, mm. when you suddenly, either the tremor breaks through or the dyskinesias breaks yes. through. They come out with stress and excitement. Yeah. We haven't got to the bottom of that, why that happens yet. The other thing we're but all... The drugs do work in the early stages. The, the decision we all have to make very early on is when to start the drugs. I was presented with the dilemma... Do you want to start them straight away? Because they only last for a certain amount of time. I do not subscribe to the view. I always say I, I do have people, and I have no colleagues uh, believing that. I just say, what are you waiting for? <laughs> if you had any other condition, you'll start medication straight away. Yeah. You know that this is age-related disorder. As we age, we all lose dopamine. If we lived up to 120, we all get Parkinsonian. So if it's age-related disorder, you're likely to progress gradually. And the fact that you've come to me shows that there's an impairment which can be substantially changed by medication. Now, the planning for that medication, along with other lifestyle changes, is very important. And that's different from different people. How you manage somebody with marked tremor might be very different to somebody who presents with freezing off gait. Now, freezing off gait is not going to be helped by tablets. They're going to help by simple, simple things like auditory cues or putting some strips on the floor and you walk over it. So that's obligatory assessment in our clinic. But, but, but they must help because sometimes I'd, I freeze and some, as I was saying this morning, I wasn't freezing, I was walking perfectly yes. well. So isn't that to do with the tablets that I was yes, taking? Yes, it is. In? I mean, there are two types of freezing. One is off-related and one is unpredictable. Off-related <laughs> off freezing can be held by, as the name implies, you reverse the off. You can reverse the off by giving dopamine. That will help. But if your freezing can come on any time, unpredictably, and made worse by stress, that's often helped by cueing and other strategies. Yeah. So I was really trying to emphasize it's a holistic care that matters, not just only drugs. So, Professor, can I ask just very briefly about this personalized therapy? Because we don't have the resources for that, surely. I mean, I've been given initially 10 minutes per appointment. I mean, you can't personalize anything within 10 minutes, can you? 
Yeah, I think the model needs to be that people with Parkinson's, when their diagnosis is made either at a general practice level or perhaps at a general neurology level, where the knowledge for Parkinson's may not be that good to some extent because they're dealing with all neurological condition, that their referral must be made to a specialist service at least once, where a plan is then made, and that plan then can be delivered either at the primary uh, care level or at the general practice level. Now, this is a difficult policy to implement, but surely that's the way we have to go because, you know, it is a condition that's likely to double in numbers in the next 15 years. So worldwide, we're going to have about 12 billion people with Parkinson with massive societal costs, and we need to address personalized therapy as soon as possible. Do we so we're know thinking why it's increasing? I think it's just early diagnosis and people living longer. Yeah. Right. Professor... That's been absolutely fascinating. fascinating. We could talk for hours, but we've got I want to guess. ask him a question. Okay, yes. ask, ask him this question right now. One question. Yes. One question. If you had one piece of advice for a person who thinks they detected the symptoms of Parkinson's, what would it be? I think if somebody has detected symptoms of Parkinson, they should really see a neurologist who has an interest in Parkinson and get a plan as to how that will be managed. Thank you very much. Now to a woman who's at the sharp end when it comes to doling out Parkinson's drugs. Stephanie Bancroft is a community pharmacist and chair of the Parkinson's Disease Specialist Pharmacy Network. Hi, Stephanie. Hello. What, what is the Parkinson's Disease Specialist Pharmacy Network? Well, it's a network that was formed in 2019 by Dr Janine Barnes, who's a pharmacist specialist neurologist. We brought together all pharmacists in every setting so that we could learn together and help each other with patients. Pharmacists play a huge role in, in Parkinson's people's lives, don't they? Well, we're there at the sharp end. We're, we're seeing the patient more often than any other healthcare professional. Mm. And yet we haven't got the experience that's really necessary. Parkinson's disease was included in the new medicine service in September 2021. And for me, that's quite worrying. What, new, what, what's that what mean? mean? Right. So the new medicine service is if a patient is diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, then the pharmacist provides a support. So it's three consultations. The first one would be to tell them about their medicines and how to take them and when to take them and why they need to take them. And then they would call them in about a week's time to see how they're getting on and whether they've got any side effects from the medicines. And then again, a couple of weeks later, to check again the side effects and see how they're getting on and to remind them that they need to renew their prescription because this is an ongoing condition. I didn't know about this. I'm sure we none of us knew no, about Well, yeah, but it only came in in September 2021. What could we round the table and all those listening actually get from their pharmacists they might not know about? It sounds like if you if you want advice about your drugs, talk to your pharmacist. Don't wait a year to see a consultant. Well, that's right. So, so our aim with the Parkinson Specialist Pharmacy Network is to educate pharmacists so we've developed this learning pathway so that the, every pharmacist can upskill themselves if they're interested nice. in Parkinson's and then they'd be able to help their patients. But the new medicine service is only for newly diagnosed 
patients. Oh, sorry, there's oh. no right to that. None of us. Right? None okay. of you have a right to that. But anybody that's newly diagnosed would get that service. But that doesn't mean your pharmacist can't help you. If they've upskilled themselves to help people that are newly diagnosed, they can also help people that have had Parkinson's for years. But, but you no, said I was newly diagnosed last year and nobody ever told me anything about this. Right. So that is a failure. The new medicine service is not mandatory. The discharge medicine service, where if you've been in hospital and you're prescribed new drugs, that is mandatory. But the new medicine service is up to the pharmacist. Um, if that's they're giving interested. You out. Yeah. Well, now so, we've got you here, let's take advantage. So yeah. let, let's so, get, get some advice. So I mean, if, if the pharmacist hasn't got the skills to give that advice, then they might not give you uh, the new medicine service. Gillian, you've got a question. Yes, because my pharmacist, what he says is that he puts out drugs for people because the complexity of the drugs can be enormous, can't it? Absolutely. I'm reminded by my husband to take them the whole time, but otherwise I probably wouldn't. But my pharmacist was saying that he makes these packages for people yes. and delivers them, but yes. isn't paid for that at all. It no. seems absolutely outrageous. No. It takes um, a very long time, doesn't it? It takes a huge amount of time, and quite often they're called monitored dose systems or dosette boxes. They only have slots for four times a day, but most patients have Parkinson's medicines up to eight or yes. times a day. So I used to make, uh, my mother had Parkinson's, and that's how I got interested in Parkinson's. So I used to make a morning dosette box and an afternoon dosette box, and the medicines were at 8 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 1.30, depending on what she needed, and that's another important thing. They're time critical. So it used to be get it on time, but we're changing now to time critical so that people understand that you can't wait. If it's not convenient to take your medicine, say, for example, if you're in a care home or a hospital, and the drug regime is breakfast, lunch, evening meal and bedtime, that doesn't suit a Parkinson's patient at all. No. And it's really important that you do take your medicines on time to get the benefits because they wear, as I heard earlier, you, they wear off. Mm. What's the most difficult question you get asked by people coming into the pharmacy? The worst days? question we ever got asked when we were doing the medicine juice review service, which, which we developed, was that the patient came in, had the consultation and said, thank you very much, I'll take the course of treatment and I, then I'll be better, won't I? <laughs> and mm. nobody had told this poor patient that Parkinson's is a progressive neurological disease and unfortunately he's not going to get better. What we need to do is help the patient. What happened to you the minute you got your diagnosis? You didn't believe it? Sure, no, didn't believe it and then you think, oh, that's it. Yeah. No, you believe it yeah. and then you're told, well, they'll see you in a year's time. Yeah, but you switch off as well because you think, oh, Parkinson's. I don't really want to know about Parkinson's. Can I, can I ask about the availability of medicines? Because we're, we're told not to build up a stockpile at home. But then sometimes I go in to get my medicines and they say, oh, we haven't got any Cinemet this month. And I say, what do I do? And they say, well, you could try the other pharmacists around the, the town. Yeah. There has been a problem with Cinemet manufacture because it's the manufacturers changed twice in the last couple of years. There are generic alternatives to Cinemet, but at the moment we're investigating that the generic alternatives actually don't work in the same way as the Cinemet because the bioavailability of the levodopa might be compromised by the additives that they put in their tablets oh, right. to make a generic medicine. It's not yeah. the same as what they put in right. Cinemet. Oh. Um, so they put stuff into it to distinguish well, it as generic no they don't put stuff into it that every tablet has to have 
non-active ingredients to bind it together. Right. Mm. So you've got your active ingredients. That so they, has to be the same because that's monitored by the authorities. It's a different case they make for it. But uh, instead of lactose, it might have something else in it just to bind it together. And there's no restriction on that. I see. And it, the, just the main ingredient has to be exactly yeah. right. Can I ask a rather crass question? But <laughs> yeah. you mentioned making out boxes. I've got the box here. Yeah. Make up, and it takes me about an hour, not just Parkinson's drugs, filling it. But it takes me much longer these days because some of the side effects, as everybody knows, of yeah. Parkinson's lack of dexterity. Yeah. And pushing those little pills out of all those little. Yes. Little blister packs. Well, the, if the you can imagine, if you can imagine a community pharmacy, the one that I used to work in, we had 25 patients in the community that required one of those. They didn't all have Parkinson's. Some of them had dementia or other illnesses that required them to have these boxes so that they remembered to take their medication. And pushing out hours a day, pushing out those tablets yeah. makes your fingers very sore yeah. there is a machine you can get to do yeah. but you see every medicine was put in in the foil it? yeah well you don't have to you can ask your pharmacist to do it for you oh, really you, well, they may say no because it's not paid for so you, yeah. you've set up does this, it, this... Does anybody else have a problem with this? Yeah, I spend every Saturday morning, and it takes me about an hour and a half, sorting my pills out and, and, and swearing uh, at the packages, which are so difficult. Yeah. And taking them off the floor. Yes, yeah. and I, I yeah. sometimes wonder whether the dog's getting an extra dose of dopamine because <laughs> uh, it's hunting under the table. Or Sophie. Yeah. What could make your life better and our life better? I think more people having an interest in Parkinson, more healthcare professionals, especially pharmacists having a specific interest in Parkinson so that they can help their patients. So upskilling themselves, knowing more about the condition and what the patient needs. And the patient should talk to their pharmacist as well. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a pharmacist that you feel is not supporting you, ask them My local chemist is never the same face on, yeah. on each occasion. I mean the turnover is extraordinary. It's better to go to a small independent if you can yes. because they need the patients to keep coming back. It'll be family owned or personally owned. They'll, they'll give perhaps more care to the patient compared with a multiple yeah. where, like you say, you've got yeah. a different pharmacist every on every time. shift. Every but shift. to sum up, Stephanie, your pharmacist can be a, a really important support mm. to you mm. uh, when you can't see the doctor. Absolutely. We've just got time for a, uh, what I sometimes call any other business. Uh, I want to tell you about an amazing breakthrough I've seen recently. What would you think if I told you that soon Parkinson's could be diagnosed with something which is as simple as a COVID test? Wow. I would be amazed. Wow. I would be astonished. Well, it would put the DAT scan without taking stuff out of your spine. Without a spinal tap either, which is one method people are talking about. I've been to see Professor Perdita. Baron at Manchester Uni. Oh, I know her. She's wonderful. Yeah, you, you. I think you filmed her for your documentary. We did, yeah. Yeah, she's been building on the amazing work done by Joy Milne, a retired nurse who found she could actually smell Parkinson's. Well, now what Professor Purdy has done has sort of automated that process. Uh, she took a swab of the back of my neck and then put the sample through, wait for it, a mass spectrometer which, as far as I understand it, is the world's most sophisticated weighing machine, and then showed me the readout, which basically effectively weighed the molecules on my back and found that I had a certain proportion more in a particular range, and that meant I had Parkinson's. There, she said, 
I can confirm that. The conclusion that. Of this was that you have Parkinson's. Yes. yes. We knew that. We knew that but already. You had, but you had a bit of confirmation bias then, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, but they did a whole bunch of tests you know, blind tests, and this system was 93% accurate, right. where apparently your GP is 50% accurate. So, I mean, I suppose the question is, could people be diagnosed earlier, and would that be a good thing, Paul? It would definitely be a good thing. The sooner you know, the better, because then they can give you the medication and all the help and the support that you might need. And so it's absolutely and There must be hundreds of thousands of people out there undiagnosed, you would have thought. There must who, be lots of people. Who will be diagnosed. Or misdiagnosed or and being given stuff for yes. something that they don't, in fact, have. I mean, it, it was simpler than doing a COVID test. We've all done that, you know, stick the thing down our throat and so on. You, you don't even need to do that. You just swipe your back. So every time people go in to the, see the doctor, they could just be given this thing on the back of their neck and they just yeah. run it in a machine. Can they mass produce these machines? Well, so, these yeah. machines, they are in hospitals already. So you wouldn't mass produce it, but any You need to go to the hospital. hospital. Or the sample would need to be t sent to the hospital. Yeah. Uh, like a blood but, test. Like yeah, exactly. Just, exactly. How soon can they tell whether you've got it or not? Because I I've got the genetic version, so my kids, you know, they have a chance, quite a high chance. Well, of how early, it. I mean? Do you know? Very early, isn't it? Quite early. I mean, earlier than yeah. we, we, I mean, because we generally don't go and say, oh, have I got Parkinson's, until we've got some pretty yeah. pronounced symptoms. No, By which time, what is it, 80% is it, of the dopamine's gone? I think something like that. The consequences that. of this are sort of are very profound because there are probably hundreds of thousands of people undiagnosed symptom free or with symptoms that they don't know what yeah. they are i lost my sense of smell about nine years ago nobody ever said to me that could be a symptom of parkinson's on the emails and the facebook stuff that's coming in loads of people have lost their sense of smell and i bet no gp or no doctor says that could be parkinson's no and i went so to a chiropractor for ages and sort of was paying him you know, quite a lot of money to sort of massage my back, and now I've discovered that that's probably Well, I, I had a bad back for 10 years ago, and maybe that was Parkinson's. Yeah, and I've had yes. a cramp, yeah. sudden terrible cramp in my feet uh, in bed and hop hop around for 10 minutes um, before that goes, and that's supposed to be a symptom. Anyway, I think what we decided is an early test would be a great idea. Well, would it? The social consequences would be very significant, but I think it would be better to know the truth. Well, is it best well, to know the truth if, yeah. if there's no if treatment for it? Isn't it better not to know? Mm. Well, well, there are treatments for this it. Is, this is a big, big incentive to the drug companies to get into producing a cure. If there yeah. are more of us, the more yeah. there are, the more... Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That is true. That's true. Mm. We've all got a lot to chew on. Not uh, pills, necessarily. Not, not necessarily <laughs> pills, <laughs> but we're going to ask our pharmacist. That seems to be the message. You've been listening to Movers and Shakers with me, Rory Catherine-Jones, and my friends Gillian Lacey-Solomar, Mark Mardell, Paul Mayhew-Archer, Nicholas Mostyn and Jeremy Paxman. The show is produced by Nick Hilton for Poddo. Our theme music is by Alex Stobbs and cover artwork by Till Lukat. Thanks again to Boardwave for their support. Please subscribe to get new episodes straight into your podcast app and do rate and review if you've enjoyed the show. We're also on Twitter, at MoversAnd6, that's Movers and the number six. So please share the show there, and email any thoughts or questions to feedback at moversandshakerspodcast.com. See you next week. <laughs>